Welcome to Screen Talk, coming to you from the Sundance Film Festival. I'm Eric Cohn, the deputy editor, and sitting next to me on my bed in the Sundance condo, no phony stuff, is Ann Thompson, our editor-at-large. You're a married man. <laughs> exactly. Everything's secure here. But, you know, what happens in Sundance stays in Sundance, which is why we always love coming here. It's such a special opportunity to get together as a team, East Coast, West Coast, and get also together with the film industry people. Throw we, a chili party. Yeah, we throw a little a cool bash. party on opening night. Yeah, it, cool. Pat. It's more like... Like hot it once it gets jam. the capacity. Have your, we but Tavi Gevinson. Tavi Gevinson and Abby Jacobson were our official hosts. We always have some fun hosts who, who uh, basically just hang out at the party with everybody else for a while. But they're the stars of a movie called Person to Person, which uh, I saw before the festival and oh, like quite it? a bit. It's a nice kind of scrappy old school New York movie. It has uh, this kind of uh, Cassavetes quality to it, but a big ensemble piece. Uh, the director, Dustin Guy Defy, is not white known but he's been making shorts for years and one of those people who in our world it's kind of cool to see take it a little step up and get a little bit more exposure Michael Sarah's in the movie as well and, and he's quite good and it's just sort of a, a this really interesting observational piece about one day in New York and it's screening in the next section at Sundance which is a perfect place for that kind of movie and without fail in the last maybe two three years where I see most of the That's movies I like stuff. here. And the David yeah. Lowry is screening. David there, Lowry's film, Ghost Story. There's a lot Story. of anticipation because it's admittedly a, an experimental work that he kept secret and, right. and filmed in Texas with his buddies Casey Affleck and, and, and Rooney Mara. After um, shooting Pete's Dragon, which is a, you know a cool story, and he's sort of, he, he really epitomizes kind of that ideal of the indie filmmaker who gets bigger opportunities but doesn't necessarily sell out right away. Well, he also um, waited a long time before he came with Anthem Body Saints. Uh, he was telling me for this story that I did about the uh, people who've been to Sundance before and what kind of impact it had on them, how many times he was rejected before Anthem Body Saints was accepted. He went to South By before that. Oh, yeah. Other festivals supported him, but it took him a while to get into Sundance, and he said it focused him on how to make a movie that would make it into Sundance and would stand out and would cut, make the cut. This is actually something I find really fascinating. I mean, I, my career doing this kind of stuff goes for has run for about a decade, a little bit more than a decade. So a lot of those filmmakers are people who were just starting out when I started looking at these it's things. It's a generation. Like and there Alex is a, Ross Perry, exactly. he's here. All of these people started out making... Young. Yeah, Robert Russo Young and Dustin Guidafa. And the people in Person to Person who you, you glimpse are, are, are... There's cameos of people, people like Benny Safdie and David Zellner who are also part of that kind of fa family of sorts. But what's interesting about it is that the gestation period was longer than you might expect because they weren't making commercial movies. The industry, I think, had to sort of catch up on some level to their sensibilities to say, let's try these people out. But what the, what's really caught up is that there's a different paradigm now, which is that a lot of the art filmmakers, the ones who are scrappier and doing the smaller budget stuff and have a more um, individual kind of non-commercial sensibility, they're not expecting to make a living. Alex Ross Perry writes for a living. He doesn't make movies for a living. Well, and, everybody and he sort admits of... that. And I talk to these people. Some of them are professors. Right. Some of them, Raghus Young, makes commercials. They don't necessarily... Now, in this case, I think her movie does sound commercial. But Well, but I also, I also think it's about you know what, what your priorities are. I mean, you can make a living, I think, more... Before I Fall. That's the name of her movie. Yeah, exactly. All, all of these people 
could be making a living in different kinds of ways as filmmakers, and they pick and choose exactly how much they want to. I mean, it's not to say that they have complete freedom. I'm not freedom sure. In that I think they have to make a living, and they have to figure out how to do that. That's true, but I would also argue that that the opportunities that these people could could follow are probably greater than the ones that they're cashing in on. One because... thing that heartened me was that um, someone like Eliza Hitman, who hasn't had breakouts hits at all, um, she and she's here with a movie called Beach Rats. She found support from Cinereach and from the nonprofit side. Right, there's a France. whole ecosystem there. There, you can do a different approach. And so Eliza Hitman's a film... professor at Pratt, and then works on the side. Sure, and 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 Beach Rats is a film about a. You know, it's not not an easy sell about the, this uh, New York kid who kind of hides his gay life from his friends, and it's very similar in certain ways, stylistically and subject-wise, to her first film. It felt like love, and what, what I liked, liked about well, what I think is interesting about those two, two movies when you look at them together is that there's a consistency to the vision. It doesn't feel like okay, this is my second movie. I need to try something that'll get me a bigger audience or take things no, to another level. Yeah. And so I think there is a greater sense of confidence now in the film community that if you are hitting on something that people like, you can keep doing that thing and maybe there's a way to kind of build out your own space for it at the right level, you know? And maybe she'll get hired to do something like Alex Ross Perry has and write a screenplay and there's some money there or something like that. But he but, hasn't gotten bigger, bigger budgets. He hasn't been able to expand. Well, when you look at the movies, there's it's kind of hard to imagine. He has his own sensibility. A very specific he's voice. Not going to, he's but not the actors going to are coming it. to him. The actors are coming to him. And, I, and, I, and what, that's basically what I think is, is, is the, the underlying point here is that the industry is more interested in these people than these people are interested in the industry. In some ways, that's true. And I really like that. And David Lauer's movie was pre bought. By A twenty four, sight unseen. They because, saw footage. Well, that's maybe worth something. And, then but they, and since then, they've seen it. And since then, they, they they're like happy it. about they're it. Happy they're happy about it. it. But you have to imagine they're also like, hey, we should get into the David Lowry business. But what? Well, that's true. That's because he's the exception that proves the rule. He's the one who does have a career in Hollywood. He's the one who can do both. Not everyone can do that. Not everyone is constitutionally capable of it or aesthetically able. So he can, but other people can't. Yeah, no, there's no doubt about it. And but... So you're right about that, but they're also presumably not spending a fortune for that. They also have two actors who've been nominated for Academy Awards. They've got one who might win one. Yeah. So there's a, there's a profile there. Uh, Casey Affleck, obviously. And then you have um, the reality of the marketplace, which is that they may have had to do that in order to get it. Well, they also have a short film that's playing here, which uh, I heard mixed things from from those who watched it last night. But um, that short film seems to have been something they acquired with the intention of making a feature out of it, a kind of strange sci-fi film that they started uh, kind of playing with the marketing for early by releasing the trailer online a few weeks ago. And I think, you know, a company like that basically is just constantly experimenting with you know, what can we throw out there that might be perceived as like hip and cool and different? And maybe that's the selling point that uh, to, to me, it's like Sundance movies are, are a big part of that. Like either they're going to be really big crowd pleasers. The big six seems to be the one that's people the are saying that or they're going to be sort of Judd Apatow. exactly or they're going to be totally wacky movies that get people talking because of that. And that can be a selling point, too. Well, the so. one that's the one I always use as an example, not wacky, but a standout, something unlike anything else was, of course, Beasts of the Southern Wild. And that's the, the thing that no one knows that it's there until it happens. 
Well, it's, we it's knew because we the saw radar. the short film. So <laughs> nobody, nobody would have expected that that movie would have been a Best Picture nominee. Exactly. That, I mean, there's something about that which is amazing because it is manufactured in some level, on some level by the way the festival machine works. Like, this was a filmmaker they were building up to that moment, but it wasn't something that the industry was prepared for, that something like that could cross over. Now, I don't see anything in this year's lineup that could completely come out of nowhere like that, but we I do... not see a Manchester by the Sea on exactly. paper. Exactly, but you don't really know because it also depends on what are the agendas of the distributors. Nobody thought Manchester by the Sea was going to sell for $10 million last year. Now, could something sell for that yeah, sum this time? one of the time? reasons that was true was that the, uh, the director was coming off of a failure. Right, so he had and he, a, notoriously difficult story. and all that stuff. Yeah, but, so, and it's gone all the way, and it's, it's meant that Amazon is looking very good as a buyer, right. someone that people want to go to. They've established themselves in a different they way. They bought their way into year. it, basically. Basically. In effect, and delivered though, delivered. But Netflix is very different because Netflix has narratives here that they produced or bought before the festival. What are some of those? Uh, I don't feel at home alone in, the, in this world anymore, which is uh, Macon Blair, who's a longtime collaborator of Jeremy Saulnier's first feature. It's in the U.S. competition. It's a genre film starring Melanie Linsky. I haven't seen it yet, but I've heard really positive stuff. People are comparing it to Out of Sight in terms of the tone, which is really interesting. And then they also have um, Deirdre and Rob, uh, Deirdre and Lainey Rob a Train, which is from a Native American filmmaker. Um, And I I haven't seen that one either, but but it's interesting because Netflix's narrative strategy two years ago now, almost two years ago now, was let the, similar to Amazon in the sense of they were trying to buy themselves into the awards game and it didn't go it didn't so work. well. well now it seems like something else. Model, so it, it's a total, they want to buy all rights, they want to take them off right. the table. Which screws um, you on theatrical but right. maybe gets you a massive audience. And they have these amazing algorithms so they can say, okay, what do our what viewers really want to watch? So the idea of investing money in that on the narrative side, can be healthy for certain kinds of movies. It's just a question of, you know, would those movies be better suited with a, you know, a smaller company that's going to give it more care rather than just dumping it on on this platform. And there's a lot of filmmakers still lust after, desire a theatrical showing for their films. It's harder and harder to get, but that's what they want. And so Netflix just doesn't give you that. And the other, and even if they do, they do it in a bad way. They don't give it, they don't give it the support and the branding and the kind of profile that you get. That's the other thing that comes out of getting distribution is that you become a filmmaker with a name. Somebody recognizes you. If you just go off into the ether somewhere, that whole publicity apparatus does not occur. Um, and then the other the other question uh, is that Netflix does much better by documentaries, and of course yeah. Sundance is a huge marketplace for documentaries. And many every year, many of the Oscar docs are launched here. This year is no exception. Yeah, it's true. I mean, the, it it does seem like the ideal place to find those things, and, and it's also a festival that's driven by topicality. It's the first big festival in this part of the world of the year. So movies that are dealing with issues in American society or around the world that that seem really relevant uh, just strike, you know, just basically people want to get something that, that's going to get people talking. So, so the Academy yeah, sequel uh, debuted last night. I saw it yes. this morning, and Al Gore was there, and he's the hero of yeah, the Yeah, it's hour. great to see Al still at it. He's, you know, a little rounder, a little grayer. Yeah, but... <laughs> no, he's a 
he's a he's a testament to us all. And it's then, not a great movie, but it's certainly an improvement over the first one. You know, it's a, it, you almost uh, you start to you th- grow. You see it as an improvement. Well, the, I started to to worry in the early scene when he started going through slides. Like, okay, uh-oh, here we go. Uh-oh. But and while it does use it as an anchor, I think you see him in the field a little bit more, and that improves it. The whole drama in Paris was pretty intense, and I, I yeah, the Paris moved. I was moved by it a few times. Yeah, I mean, I... I, I and he does, of course, this occurs... I see the movie on the morning of the inauguration yeah. of Donald Trump, who opposes climate change. Right, and and you see him, you know, that... Or denies that it exists. Yeah, or whatever's or going on there. roll back the Paris you, Accords, which you see in this movie, how hard they were to accomplish. Yeah, and you see Gore in that footage that was widely circulated walking into Trump Tower. Right. I think the essence of the movie is that it does... Uh, work against some of the despair associated with what people think is going to happen with the climate because it's not just that Al Gore is there, but that he's got essentially a training program all uh, around the world. That was very heartening. Um, he's got and, us all... He, he did the same thing at the screening this morning. He wants everybody... He's exhorting everyone in the audience to participate. Yeah, and, and the, what he says One is, is, is at a time. the most important thing here is to get these developing countries on board. And what, while the U.S. can do certain things or not do certain things, they're less likely to get in the way of efforts to train, say, India to be more green conscious and things like that. So, you know, I, it's, it's hard to beat up on a movie like this. I mean, I, it's exactly what I, I expected to be. It's an agitprop. That's what it's designed it's totally to be. totally fine. A little bit like 13th. I mean, it's designed exactly. to put forward a narrative more than be the, the state of the art of documentary filmmaking. Right. So that should do well. Right. Paramount's Absolutely. got it and, and people will want to go see it. They had it from the beginning because they had the first one. Yeah, so. and, and, and it It'll remain relevant, so there there is that, and then there's a bunch of other then documentaries. The Matthew Heineman, uh, City of Ghosts, it's, which is follow one of the ones up the cartel and ahead yeah. of time, so it's really good. Really He's a good, good filmmaker. I mean, he puts himself in the line of fire. I can't really tell from the movie how much he was there, yeah. but it but just the the narrative drive here of these journalists who have to work in complete secrecy uh, in Syria and in Raqqa. To uh, to deal with ISIS, there was is some footage amazing. shot in Raqqa, although some of it may have all been shot locally. Right. So I, I mean, what they do is they're, is in, they're in Turkey in, yeah, in the line and, of fire, and, and also in Germany. Germany. Yeah, yeah, and being stalked. And, I mean, and the part of the movie that was so um, emotionally devastating for me um, watching it was because you you start to respond to these people. They're lovely people. You care about them and and their families and their, the people who have died around them, and then you see that they think they're safe. In each place they go, and they're not. They're not safe, even in Germany. And I think there is something relevant about that movie now, even though you know it doesn't talk about, say, the Trump administration or no, something like that's that. The thing. But there is a lot of discussion about, you know, how can the media deal with an opaque administration? And there are some lessons to be gleaned, I think, from the experiences that people have in these kinds of dictatorships, where you know, expression is, basically puts your life in danger. Hopefully we don't get to those extremes, but any any step that could suggest a move in that direction requires a reassessment of how the media operates. Well, if so. you look at the two movies together in a weird way, what Al Gore is sort of suggesting on a sort of planetary level is that it, climate change brings... The, the situation in Syria in some ways came out of climate change, came out of the drought, came out of a lack of resources, came out of angry, disenfranchised people. And that that, and on all the weather changes and all the floods and all the fires and all the things that are going on around the world, Miami, water coming up, all these different things are creating a, a, a demand for resources and incredible unrest. 
that's all going to be revisited on us in many different ways. Yeah, I mean, it does... And, it, a, and a huge group of population of people who are going to be in terrible straits. Right. It, and it does a good job of, of laying out the logic of that. You yeah. know, it's not alarmist. You know, to say that it's an alarmist pos- position is to deny what's exactly in front of you, which I'm sure people will will do anyway. His but, piece uh, of optimism, as far as Trump is concerned, is that when people learn more about the actual ramifications of climate change when they happen, when they learn about it, then they change their minds, hopefully. So Sundance is always interesting because we, we go and see all these movies and we find connections between them and then they start to get more spread out over the course of the year and the movies take on their own identities and it, it, there is a real question about, you know, will the enthusiasm around this or that movie continue over the next year or is it just going to kind of drop off the radar? I always wonder that. There's going to be the lucky few, the lucky Manchesters, and then there's going to be the unlucky births of a nation or whatever it is. Well, that's an anomaly, let's hope. (laughs) That don't uh, deliver uh, on their promise. And then, and then there's going to be lots of little movies that just find their audience the way they do. You know? but, but the thing I do like about uh, a year in which there doesn't appear to be a Manchester is that it does open the field up, or at least the terms of the conversation up, to think about success in different kinds of ways. I mean, maybe a little movie that finds its audience is what we want as a culture because otherwise it'll be completely forgotten. So managing expectations is valuable. I mean, I really like this movie in Next Club Menasha, which is all Yiddish language uh, and starring Hasidic actors. So that stands and, uh, out from the crowd. Yeah, it's, it's quite something. But it's also, they, they pulled it off with really strong performances. You know, Even though these people haven't acted before, they clearly cast the movie. It has that kind of jittery naturalism of a Dardenne Brothers or something. And, um, you know, certain people will see this movie and get something out of it, and certain people will not know what to make of it. And that's fine. I mean, that's, it, it's not made for those people. And so being aware of that... You know, in an environment like Sundance, I think uh, increases your understanding of what movies are right now. They don't necessarily need to be always as big as TV. You know, Sundance acknowledges TV. It has a big uh, role to play in our cultural landscape now. But that doesn't mean that movies are, you know, dying off. Well, I I beg to differ, actually. Uh, Uh Kimberly Pierce uh, came to the party last night, and she's one of these uh, great indie filmmakers, Boys Don't Cry, any number of attempts to make it in Hollywood, and now she's working in TV. And we were talking about the talent drain. We were talking about how, and they have a robust TV program here. Yeah, and there's more money there. I mean, all these things suggest that TV is... Even the Weinstein Company on the ropes on the theatrical side, terrible year, lowest numbers in a long time. All they can do in these interviews that they give to the press is say, we're in TV, we're in TV. Sure. And so there's there's bound to be an impact on that. What's great about Sundance is it's emerging talent, okay? But Lena Dunham is in TV. Lena Dunham was a natural fit for TV, I think. I mean, she just she took off, you know, at a very early stage in her career, finding her writing voice in some ways at that point. I'm not saying I just feel, feel that TV does not necessarily negate the effectiveness of what a movie is. The two-hour so movie is an endangered species. I couldn't disagree more, and the reason why is because I think that it's just shrinking in terms of what its audience is. But well, you know what? The are shrinking. I talked sure. to producer Christine Vachon. She, she admits to me that what, what you know, that, that five is the new ten, three is the new five, yeah. one is the new three, but also, and it's only going down. But I, you also have to think about the specialness of a movie. It's the specialness of going to an art gallery. She has four films here. Think about so opera. That's the issue. Think about, think about these rarefied art forms. Maybe it's not cost effective to go to them all the time, but they're treated as very important aspects of, of 
you but know, that's a, a very different creativity. niche for the two-hour movie. Yeah, I, right now it is. But if we're saying that this thing is evolving or facing some sort of challenge because of this other medium, and we've been ringing that uh, alarm bell for a couple years now, then maybe it's migrating into something else that's more rarefied. That doesn't mean it's gone. I didn't say it was gone. I said it was endangered. 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 Well, that endangered. tends to lead to being gone well, at some we'll point. See. Anyway, first of all, uh, we have to go on to, to our many uh, films that we have to see. But um, the next... Uh, time we will talk is on monday yes monday if you are at sundance please come to the kickstarter house you can follow us on twitter for more information uh 11 a.m you can bring your questions or heckle us or or just listen to us bicker for a bit and then we'll follow it up with uh oscar conversation we're gonna do the post oscar or post-mortem assuming that we're able to talk coherently having to get up at the crack Crack of dawn dawn. all right that's what we do we're professionals Um, you can handle it yeah all right okay see you then